trajectory of our nation. And he said on this 15th anniversary, it is worthy of our deepest thoughts, worthy of our prayers, and worthy of our reflection. And that's what I hope to do this morning, combining it with our sharing together of the Lord's Supper. I know most of you know the facts, but sometimes it's good to just be reminded. On the History Channel, if you have cable, you're, many of you are familiar with the History Channel, they have a website that's just simply history.com, free to anyone who wants to go on there. And they have a wonderful video, about four and a half minutes long, going over the events, especially in the two towers in New York City. I would encourage you, if you get time, just to watch that. It's good to be reminded. It's very well done. I would have loved to have shown it this morning, but with it being the History Channel, there are certain copyright uh, issues um, that, that wouldn't allow us to show it, at least in a public setting or public venue. Um, but I would encourage you to watch that sometime. And from their website, they give this good synopsis of what happened. On September 11, 2001, 19 militants associated with the Islamic extremist group Al-Qaeda hijacked four airliners and carried out suicide attacks against targets in the United States. Two of the planes were flown into the towers of the World Trade Center in New York City. A third plane hit the Pentagon just outside Washington, D.C., and the fourth plane crashed in a field in Pennsylvania. Often referred to as 9-11, the attacks resulted in extensive death and destruction, triggering major U.S. initiatives to combat terrorism and defining the presidency of George W. Bush. About 3,000 people were killed during the attacks in New York City and Washington, D.C., including, including more than 400 police officers and firefighters. The official death toll for that day is 2,996. If you are from the World War II generation, your generation is defined by an event. It was the attack on Pearl Harbor. In that attack, 2,403 people were killed. For my generation and those a little younger than I am, we will be, will continue to be defined by this event, September 11, 2001. So many things have changed since that time. It just seems that there has been a proliferation of terrorist attacks around the world. It's almost as if 9-11 emboldened terrorist groups and the things that they do. I really appreciated Doug Marinak's prayer this morning, how we need to pray Pray for those satanic strongholds and that God would break through in those areas, those leaders, those people, those recruits. I went online and I just, they have these lists that you can look at. 
of all the, the terrorist attacks from 2002 to 2016 around the world. Folks, it's overwhelming. Many of these terrorist attacks we don't even hear about or don't learn much about. And you think just recently, just recently, all I've got to say is the names of particular cities or parts of the country, and you know what happened. Just, just recently, Paris, Brussels, Nice, San Bernardino, Orlando. You know about these attacks that were carried out. Whenever we think of 9-11, it should remind us that we live in a sinful and fallen world that is in rebellion against God. Whenever we think of 9-11 or any of the terrorist attacks that we may observe, it should remind us that we live in a sinful world. We live in a fallen world. And this world as a whole is in rebellion against their creator, against God. James says in verse 16, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. I don't want you to be deceived. This is not a world that honors the Lord. This is not a world that looks to God for help. This is a sinful world. This is a fallen world. A world in rebellion against God. And it is easy in the trials and tribulations of life. James talks about these trials. Count it all joy, he says, when you fall into various trials or meet various kinds of trials. And he's talking more about individual trials, but I think it has a broader application to what we're addressing this morning. But when we fall into trials and tribulations, when we see these acts of evil around us, it is so easy for us to blame and question God. Where is God? Why would a loving God ever allow these things to happen around the world? Couldn't God, I mean, couldn't God just reach down his hand and stop these things from happening? And James says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Do not be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Sometimes we have these inaccurate conceptions about God, about what is happening in our world. We want to place the blame on God when that is the last place that any blame should be put. H.B. Charles Jr. is a pastor of a large church in Jacksonville, Florida, and he says this. He says, The peril of the unredeemed sinner is unbelief. The peril of the redeemed sinner is misbelief. The peril for us as Christians is when we begin to entertain inaccurate thoughts about God 
or about the nature of God. And there really is no solution for misbelief except, except replacing falsehood with the truth. When we begin to question God, when we be, somehow begin to think that maybe God's to blame for this or why couldn't God have done more, we need to give ourselves to the word of God. We need to drive ourselves into an accurate understanding of our great and glorious, transcendent, majestic God and who he is and how much he really loves us and cares for us. So whenever we have false thoughts about God or about what God is doing in the world, we need to replace them with the truth. And I'm going to give you two examples. There are many more examples that could be given this morning. But James gives us two wonderful examples of how we can replace false thoughts with the truth of God's word. And so our second point is two unshakable truths. First unshakable truth is this. The God of the universe is in complete control and he is blessing his people and accomplishing his plans. The God of the universe let it be said, let it be declared to the ends of the world, the God of the universe is in complete control right now. And he is blessing his people and accomplishing his plans. In verse 17, James says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. That's a great statement. Every good gift Every perfect gift is from above. It's not because I earned it. It's not because I deserve it. It's not because I'm such a good person. No, every breath we take, everything we have is a gift from the mercy of God. It is from above. You have a wonderful spouse this morning. It is a gift from God. You have beautiful children. You have a wonderful extended family. It is a gift from God. You have reasonably good health. It is a gift from God. You have a home to live in. You have food on your table. You are able to function each and every day. Every single part of that is a gift from the mercy and grace of God. And folks, it is the only reason you have anything. We deserve eternal condemnation. We deserve the wrath of God. But instead, he has shown us great, great mercy. Do not forget, every single day, every single minute that you are alive, that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And James says those gifts come down from the Father of lights. They come down from God. The Father of lights is an interesting term. It is actually an ancient Jewish title that they gave to God. They called him the father of lights. 
the Jewish people, the Hebrew people would look up into the sky and they would see the sun and they would see the moon and they would see the stars in all of their variation and all of their beauty. They would see different planets. They would see this vast, vast sky knowing there was or is more there than they even know about or can even comprehend. And they say the creator of all of that is the father of lights. He is the creator God. In Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 12, God says this of himself. I made the earth and created man on it. It was my hands that stretched out the heavens and I commanded all their host. The Lord says, I made the earth. I created it. My hands, my hands stretched out the heavens. I command all of the heavenly host. And there's something we all need to know about this father of lights, this giver of every good gift and every perfect gift. We need to know with him there is no variation or shadow due to change. We need to know that with this God, there is no variation or shadow due to change. He doesn't change. He's always the same. Think of that famous verse in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6, where the Lord says, For I, the Lord, do not change. And we ought to praise him this morning because he does not change. We live in a rapidly changing world. And when the Bible talks about change, it is not primarily talking about technological change. Technological change, for the most part, is a good thing, or at the very least, a neutral thing. We've all lived through and experienced, every generation has lived through and experienced technological changes. That's not what the Bible is talking about when it talks about change. It is talking about moral change. It is talking about the fact that one day something is unacceptable, another day it is acceptable. Uh, one day something is considered evil and another day it's considered good. One day something is considered wrong and another day it is considered right. Folks, we are seeing that kind of change rapidly happening all around us every single year. And do you know what change brings into our lives? Brings anxiousness. It brings fear. Many people today are afraid. It brings confusion. We are afraid and we are confused by all the change that we are seeing around us. And let us praise him. For I, the Lord, do not change with this God who gives every good gift, with this God who is called the Father of lights, he never changes. There is no variation or shadow due to change. So the first unshakable truth is the God of the universe is in complete control and he is blessing his people and accomplishing his plans. Second unshakable truth, the God of the universe is on the move, redeeming a people for the praise of his glory. No matter what 
things may appear to be around you. Know this. Let the truth replace any false thoughts that you may have. The God of the universe is on the move, redeeming a people for the praise of his name, for the praise of his glory. God is on the move in people groups all around the world in mighty and powerful ways, redeeming a people for the praise of his glory. God is on the move in the United States of America, redeeming a people for the praise of his glory. With all that's happening, let us praise him that there are still many, many good, solid Bible-teaching churches in our country. And in and through those churches, he is redeeming a people for the praise of his glory. And he's doing it right here in our town, in our church, whether it's at the Beacon of Hope or in Awana or Christ Cadets or people involved in one-on-one personal evangelism or in a small group evangelistic Bible study, wherever it may be happening, praise him because God is on the move redeeming a people for the praise of his glory. In John chapter 3 and verses 7 and 8, Jesus said this to Nicodemus, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. In verse 18, it says, Of his own will, he brought us forth. Of his own will, God brought us forth, brought us to new life. God is bringing in his church all over the world. He is doing it here. He is doing it in every part of the world in ways that are beyond our understanding, beyond our comprehension. But we praise him for it. And I love what Jesus says here. He said, the the wind blows. The convicting work of the Holy Spirit blows wherever it wishes. You do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Folks, there are going to be people saved this year who some people thought could never be saved. Again, Doug mentioned in his prayer, we may think some of these Terrorist leaders and their followers are beyond salvation. They are not. If God can save you, he can save them. If God can save you, he can save them. We need to pray for the spread of the gospel. We need to be faithful in our gospel evangelism efforts. I want you to think of somebody that just seems unreachable. Somebody that just seems to be so hardened to the gospel, you never know. You never know. It may be soon that God brings them salvation. But we know this. We know this for sure. They will be saved by the word of truth. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. We must make sure in all of our evangelistic efforts and in all of our discipling efforts that we do things 100% percent consistent with what the Bible says. We need a biblical gospel. We need biblical discipleship. Folks, give out the word of God. It will work in ways beyond what we can understand. The word of God is alive and powerful. 
more powerful than any two-edged sword, dividing even to soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. It is alive and we need to give it forth. We learned this in a series we did just recently. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23. You have been born again. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. You have been born again by the living and abiding word of God. That's how anyone is ever saved. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. The Jewish readers in the first century were very familiar with the concept of first fruits. Each year, in the early part of the harvest, they would set aside for the Lord as a testimony the first fruits of their harvest to remind them that the whole harvest belongs to God. So the Jewish people, the Hebrew people, would take the first fruits of the harvest every year. They would bring the first fruits to the tabernacle or to the temple or where they came for worship. And they would offer them as a constant reminder that the whole harvest is a gift from God. It's from the Father of lights who does not change. And to call us the first fruits means that we are assigned to the world. All of us. We are assigned to the world that a great harvest is underway. We are assigned to the world that God is bringing about a great harvest all over the world and we are simply the first fruits of that harvest. God intends to use us to display his grace to the whole world. I want you to think about that. You are a display of the grace of God. He has saved you and he is saving and will save many others all around the world. So we are, we are exhibit A of this second unshakable truth. The God of the universe is on the move, redeeming a people for the praise of his glory. As we go to the Lord's Supper this morning, there are two things that I would like you to meditate upon this morning. In light of 9-11, in light of what our country is going through, first, first, rest in God. Rest in Him. He is in complete control. Find strength in Him. Find peace in Him. When you are a fear, Excuse me, when you are afraid, take those fears to the Lord. Rest. You know, sometimes we just need to sit here and rest and picture ourselves in the loving arms of a sovereign, loving, merciful God. No matter what's happening around us, He loves you with an everlasting love and He is in control. Secondly, Every time you watch a news report that makes you afraid, that disturbs you, remind yourself, resolve in your own heart 
that you are going to do everything you can to be the light of Christ in the world around you by your actions and by your words. When you see those things happening, determine that whatever I can do as one person, wherever I go, whomever I come in contact with, I am going to do everything I can to be the display of God's grace, to show forth his love, his kindness, and his mercy, to show forth his great and glorious gospel message. Well, at this time, we are going to share the Lord's Supper together.